0: This is Glass City Humanist, a show about humanism, humanist values, by a humanist. Here is your host, Douglas Berger.
1: What happens when you combine the power of women voters with a dedication to inclusivity and advocacy? You get the incredible League of Women Voters, Toledo-Lucas County. Co-President Ann Fabazak payne joins us, sharing her insights on the League's mission and the new voter restrictions in Ohio. Glass
0: City Humanist is an outreach project of the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, building community through compassion and reason for a better tomorrow.
1: Our guest today is Ann Fabazak payne She is currently the co-president of the League of Women Voters, uh, Toledo-Lucas County. She's a retired registered nurse and a lifelong Toledoan. The League of Women Women Voters is one of the oldest local leagues in the state of Ohio. Uh, Since 1921, they've earned a reputation as a highly respected citizen's organization that researches issues from many points of view and educates the public and decision makers. Thank you for joining us today, Ann.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh,
1: The League of Women Voters is known for supporting voting rights. I mean, that's the whole history of the League. Yes. And uh, and also for hosting candidate forums and other discussion group forums for different issues, um, but the league is much more than that. Uh, what else does the league currently do besides the besides the voting rights?
2: Um, we we like to we we have an established um, advocacy agenda. We are a nonpartisan political organization so we don't support or work against candidates or parties but we we do have uh positions on issues that we've come to uh based on the membership you know doing research and discussion and talking about that we want to have a particular position on a particular issue so so we've established those at all three levels of the league, as, as many organizations, we've local leagues, which is where I belong, um, and then there's a state league, LWV Ohio, and then of course the National League. And each of those levels have positions that have come into being based on research and membership approval or interest. That's one thing. We we, as you mentioned, are interested in helping people understand the electoral process and being involved in democracy. Um, Our whole point is to help people be concerned, educated, and involved voters. And so we do that in a number of ways by registering voters, you know, giving them, helping people get into the system, but Being registered and voting is basically your first step. Uh, Being active about the issues and understanding the issues is certainly the the most important part of our responsibilities as citizens. So we we publish a for every general election, we publish a voter's guide that's available on our website. It's available on vote 411org but with a link, uh, through a link on our website. We publish every year, and the new one is out and available in libraries for free of charge, uh, a booklet that we call um, They Represent You. It's a directory of elected public officials in Lucas County. So those are a couple of particular things that, that we do, but we also, Um, you know, when we feel necessary to speak out, we speak out as a group with letters to the editor or testimony at at the state house or even even, uh, locally if there's something that we feel that we have uh, an agreed upon perspective within our local league that we want to speak out about. So we hope to be, we want to be um, uh, uh, an involved and uh, uh, positive presence in the community. That's what we try to do.
1: And the the uh, league has a history leading from the suffra- suffrage movement and yeah. getting women the vote. But yet, you do accept men as members. How important <laughs> is it for the group to be inclusive? Oh,
2: very important. And we because we 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 feel that that. We would like to think, and we hope we we are doing this well, uh, that we represent, that we we are organized in a democratic fashion. You know that we that we have that we provide a forum for our members to discuss issues. That we provide um, uh, educational information by some of our our uh, things, our topical Thursdays or our issues things. But yes, we we want. We think, uh, as as a broad group, nationally, by state, and locally, that every eligible person should be voting. Inclusivity, yes. We we hope that we can appeal to, to all folks that are interested in the same kinds of things that we are interested in. Protecting the right to vote, encouraging people to exercise that right, and encouraging people to to uh, understand what they're voting for and be educated voters.
1: And uh, one of the issue, one of the issues that the league was known for supporting was getting Toledo to adopt the city manager form of government back in the 1930s. Yeah, and that was done mainly to address concerns about corruption and and not uh, being responsive to to the people of, of the city. Yeah. Um. Are there any other? Are there any local issues currently here in Toledo, Lucas County, that the league is is working on or looking at that, that you can tell us about? There's um, many controversial issues, many or many
2: issues of interest and importance that are going on. Uh, the The violence issue, the um, uh, environmental issue, the lake issue. Uh, you know, the and and we are um, interested and involved in in terms of, of what our position statements are. We are an organization that is all volunteers. And so we are focused on the things that we can have uh, an impact on, like helping to register voters, helping the public understand what their candidates might stand for by uh offering the voters guide hoping the helping the public maybe make uh, their own um uh advocacy uh efforts uh better by uh, using our our guide to elected officials you know we and by also um having various uh, informational programs. Uh, as I mentioned a little bit ago, the Topical Thursday program that we had in our general meetings, which are open to members, but anyone who would be interested in finding out more about us could come. We always have a speaker on a topic of concern. You
1: know, as we know, the League of Women Voters, your, ma- your prime mission is voting rights. And yes. in Ohio, we've seen the legislature work harder and harder to try to restrict voting can you talk about some of those restrictions and and other issues that uh, we have here in Ohio with voting
2: yeah we uh, just recently the legislature has changed the way that uh, people are required to identify themselves when they go to vote in person so either in the early at the early voter time or on the on election day at their local poll and ways of identifying yourself may not seem too difficult. They can be, there are hidden hidden barriers, hidden, hidden obstructions. In the past, you could use any sort of government issued ID that you had, even a hunting license, or, or if you were going to a public college, a, a, a transcript that showed your name and address. Now you're really limited to an unexpired driver's license, Uh, an unexpired state identification, a military ID, and the military ID uh, has to be uh, a U.S. military ID card, an Ohio national ID card, or a U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs ID card, can't be a a membership to your local VA post, Um, or a U.S. passport or passport card. you know, people seem to think that, well, everybody's got an Ohio ID. No, nah, not everybody drives. And if your license is suspended, your driver's license is suspended for some reason, you don't have it in your possession. And it can be suspended for things like drunk driving, but other things are punishments, uh, uh, other things that you don't know, can be, can be, um, oh, um, child support or alimony or other kinds of uh, civil infractions other than uh, uh, driving infractions that can result in the punishment of the removal of your driver's license for a period of time. And so then you need to get an Ohio ID. One thing that the state legislature has done that has been good, but it's not quite enough, is that you, if you are 17 years of age or older and are using this ID for voting, then you can get it free. And that's great. But in order to get that state ID, you have to prove who you are, that you are a citizen, that you are of a certain age, that, that you are who you say you are. So you need an official document, a birth certificate. Um, you know, if you are a, a person who has changed their name because of Marriage and then got divorced, or if the, your name is different than on your birth certificate, then you would need those papers to verify that. And all and and maybe you have those papers, but likely you may not. And so then you have to go to the health department, usually, or whatever government agency uh, has those papers and buy them. And so that ca- charge is a poll tax essentially, because you need that ID to vote. Unless of course you have a valid passport. Now, having a valid passport is not a simple thing or a cheap thing either. So that's, you know, not something that would be uh, uh, really readily available. Or if you've been in the military and you have a military ID of such, but you know, that is a a certain percentage of the, citizenry that has that. So though there are hidden barriers in these new laws that, you know, you think, oh, it's not a barrier, it's not a problem, but there are hidden barriers. And so, you know, if you don't have the money to get that, uh, get the paperwork that you need to get the ID, or the time, or whatever, uh, if you're in a nursing home, (laughs) You know, and you don't have an active ID. There are other things, other steps that have to happen in order for this to occur. Now that's for in-person voting. Um, But if you do absentee voting on your kitchen table, (laughs) you uh, can uh, just use either you just use the last four digits of your social security number, which you don't have to include a picture of your ID or a copy of your ID or anything like that. Not
1: yet. Not yet.
2: Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Exactly. That's it. What is the next? I know. I know some harder? states.
1: Some states require uh, copies of IDs to be sent with absentee ballots.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So now maybe this is a good time to mention this in or, organization that um will help you get an id if you have those problems of locating uh documents that will help you get the state id for free it's called vote writers and they have a website um uh, uh votewriters.org and um they will take you to the place to get the id they will help you pay for the id the the um The documents that you need to get the ID or even if you have those documents, but don't have transportation can't afford a cab or an Uber or off the bus line or whatever, they will even uh, help you do that. And so there's a phone number, and card and, uh, you know, a way to contact them, which you have, uh, I know. uh, uh, So, uh, you know, you might be able to publish that on your
1: Yeah, we have uh, a link to that website on the secular humanist for Western Lake Erie, humanistwle.org on the front page. If you scroll down, there'll be uh, an icon from the group and it links to their website. That's very good. It says, if you need an ID, a state ID and can't afford it, go here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, really, that, that is really a good service. That's lovely actually. So those are the kinds of things. And, um, Uh, right now, as you say, we have to be vigilant because things change. Uh, People are obsessed with the notion of at least, um, how can I say, Um, they are, uh, 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 at least it seems, obsessed with the notion of uh, fraudulent voting. But I think that is sort of a cover for trying to Keep as many people away from the polls as possible. And the idea is not everybody should vote. And that certainly is not the democratic way. Everybody should
1: right, vote. Right. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I have a little story that I want to add because uh, of, you know, talking about how uh, some of these uh, members of the Ohio legislature are thinking about voting fraud and saying it's a big problem, which it's not. I think 60 people were referred out of 8 million people who voted in the last election in Ohio. Yeah. That's minuscule, minuscule. And it didn't affect any of the elections or anything because they got caught.
2: Well, and, and also, and not to, I don't mean to intentionally interrupt you. So I want to, I want to hear you. <laughs> oh, go ahead, go ahead. But, uh, I did, <laughs> I did an interview on, on, uh, uh, one of the news stations about this information, and and I said because there is no fraud. And then the the person the the uh, persons uh, um, after the interview said, well, contacting the the Secretary of State's office, there were six hundred and three cases of fraud in the last election. And I thought, oh no, I should have not said it that way because. But there was no explanation. There may have been six hundred and three questionable things, but how many of those people were actually adjudicated? How much of that that thing that they considered fraud was actually human error? And how much of it was um, intentional? Hardly any, as you say, uh, 63 cases in a particular election that had, and I have seen that, uh, that had, you know, uh, no adjudication or three or four people adjudicated. And I've seen in the paper, uh, things where, where, uh, People who were uh, uh, going to be naturalized citizens jumped the gun and voted, you know, registered and voted, and um, they were forgiven by the Secretary of State and reminded, no, first you take your your uh, uh, oath and then you can do it. But that is so wrong. But your story, what's your story? Well,
1: one of the one of the proponents, one of the person that's been uh talking about this most is uh Teresa Gaviron she's a state senator from Bowling Green yeah. uh District 2 yeah. which is just South of Toledo and in fact she's the one that co-authored the voter ID law that restricted that but an interesting thing about Teresa Gaviron is that she ran for uh the ninth congressional district in the last election against Marcy Kaptur or wanted to run against Marcy Kaptur She eventually lost in the primary to J.R. Majewski. But one of the things that the Republican party did in the state house was they gerrymandered her district so that it would go and reach the lake, uh, Senate district two would reach the lake to Huron and I think even Sandusky. And so that she would then be in the ninth district technically Congresspeople do not have to live in the district they represent there's there's no law saying that they do however there is a state law that representatives of the state legislature have to live in the district that they represent so they gerrymandered her district she moved to huron registered in erie county to vote voted in the may primary may 2022 primary she didn't win the primary so then she moved back to Bowling Green and registered in Wood County to vote and voted in the general election however the the gerrymandered second district did not become official until the federal court imposed the map on May 28th 2022. so technically Teresa Gaviron voted outside her district and when she did she technically gave up her seat in the state Senate and she, vo- and she registered to vote in Erie County under a different name than she used in Wood County. And both registrations were active at the time, you know? Wow. And, and that is just so hypocritical, it's not even funny. But again, that's just registration. Yeah. You know, that's not, you know, if she had voted in both places at the same time, that's voter fraud or could be considered voter fraud. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but that, it's just
1: interesting that that a person who is saying, "Oh, we got to have voter ID and people should not vote and it's fraud," she played the played the game with the system.
2: That that is very interesting, and
1: I, I like telling people that story because they just don't that, believe it. And it, and if you look yeah. at state law, yeah. her district where she was living did not exist until after May 28th, and she voted in the primary on May the third.
2: Your story brings up a really important issue for the League of Women Voters and has been since almost time immemorial, since at least the mid 60s, where we've been actively working against gerrymandering, uh, just nationally, but certainly in the state of Ohio. And I personally have carried four petitions, five petitions uh, to, to get something on the ballot to fix gerrymandering. And we thought we had done it uh, two years ago, well, actually four years ago when we had um, gotten successfully uh, an amendment that would say that that had a lot of um, um, uh, caveats or a lot of rules against, against gerrymandering and the Supreme Court was supposed to be the um, uh, final decider. Uh, and the legislature simply ignored those rules. So Jerry, you know, so there's there are continued issues with gerrymandering. You know, you can talk about, as I have been these last few minutes, these last this whole time, about citizen activism and citizen uh, information, knowledge, responsibility, voting. Everyone should vote. It should be easy to vote. But if if they if the legislature does uh, Redistricting in a gerrymandered way—it doesn't matter what your vote, when you vote, what you vote. How you know it is—it is very disheartening and discouraging, and you know it makes I think citizens cynical. Connected to that is a bill that is currently in the legislature about changing the way we do um, initiative and referendum petitions especially in regard to constitutional amendments. And uh, our local senator, Senator Gavron is the prime sponsor of that bill. It is a wholly partisan bill. um, And it is saying that in order to to have uh, a valid constitutional amendment that would be on the ballot, people collecting signatures on petitions have have to win, by win the election by 60% instead of just the majority, 50% of the those elected. And um, that is, uh, there's a lot of hue and cry about this. That is a, a, a totally undemocratic bill. The original bill said that you had to have a certain percentage of uh, signatures in all 88 counties the current bill now does say 44 counties which was the old standard the the typical standard but this actually prevents citizens from the only the the only method they have at their disposal that we have at our disposal to correct the legislature when we disagree with it when we cannot correct it by voting the bums out of office, you know, holding their feet to the fire by the ballot. Um, So this is a very, um, according to our concern in the league, dangerous bill. And we're working hard against it. And the complementary bill that is uh, in the legislature is Senate bill 92, which will allow for a special August election to for the citizenry to approve that bill. If it does pass, then it has to be voted on by the citizens. But <laughs> this General Assembly has just has just passed a law that there will be no more special August elections because they are too expensive, not enough voter turnout. It's just a waste of our time, energies, and resources in the state to have this special August election. But obviously the General Assembly is interested in getting that issue passed. And so they're looking for, uh, they want to pass also that special election amendment for August. Why would they do this at this time? Their argument is so special special interests, exactly. So special interests who have out who are out of state and have much have a lot of money will get things on the ballot, like uh like the casino. They they use the casino thing, the amendment to their self serving. They had land that they wanted to build casinos on. They Push this amendment. That was in 2011. And suddenly now they're, they're all, their hearts are afire to, to interrupt this, this egregious use of, of the initiative, um, uh, opportunity for citizens. No, this is because people are collecting signatures on the reproductive rights amendment to the constitution and probably very likely people will be collecting signatures in the in soon whoever we don't know but probably the gerrymandering issue has not gone away there certainly will be some citizen action on that soon so i think those are two issues that the general assembly is trying to cut off at the pass by trying to get this 60% uh, rule in place
1: yeah in- let, let me add some context to to that okay. and why it's why why it's important and especially to somebody like uh me a humanist why it's important the legislature Ohio legislature has a supermajority of republicans because of the gerrymandering but because of the the initiative ballot issue they're afraid of the voters mm-hmm. they're afraid of the voters changing the, the what they pass which they yeah. can do we saw that with senate bill 5 yes. uh, 20, 20 years ago when they yes. tried to prevent union workers from striking yes and they did a ballot initiative and had it overturned so the republicans do not want to do that they don't want to leave anything open that can be overturned so what they used to do with especially with abortion rights is they used to put abortion anti-abortion laws in the state budget. And because it was in the state budget, it was not subject to referendum. Mm-hmm. And it, they call it the, uh, uh, trap laws. They call them trap laws is what they're called. So they, they would put in the state budget that a clinic had to have this kind of regulation and, and uh, state hospitals that receive public money couldn't enter into agreements for, you know, all this yeah. uh, peripheral stuff to make yeah. it tough to have abortion clinics open and they would put it in the budget because then you couldn't vote on it the people could not vote on it and that worked for a time but they see the writing on the wall that abortion rights are popular you know there's no it's a, it's like 59 percent, 55 percent, something like that so now they know because of roe v wade being overturned and it worked in kansas they see the writing on the wall that this ballot initiative is probably going to get on the ballot. I'm pretty sure it's going to get on the ballot. And so now they are trying to change the rules at the last minute. It's because they are afraid of the voters, and that is dangerous for democracy. Exactly. That, you know, this
2: very particular issue aside, that is dangerous for democracy because it means that the legislature, which is gerrymandered, which isn't freely elected is then has total control over what over uh, they can't be recalled they can't they can't their their actions can't be corrected by the voters voters don't have this this is the only way in a very gerrymandered state as we live in the only way the legislature's actions can be corrected by the voters.
0: For more information about the topics in this episode, including links used, please visit the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show.
1: And when we were uh, talking earlier before we started recording, you were talking about some education bills that are Mm -hmm. of interest to the league right now. Uh, Could you uh, talk about some of those that that, uh, you're concerned about?
2: Yes um I want to there there are many there are many uh, uh education bills in the legislature now and uh, some of them have to do with students rights and privacy, some of them with censorship in a big deal some of them with with how educators are uh, evaluated and how um, and of course you know the big one about st- the State Board of Education becoming a, um, uh, cabinet position, and then funding. And I think uh, the our the league's concern right now is um, the budget A, uh, HB ten uh, education funding. What we are tr- hoping will happen, or what working for happening, is to is to um, uh, continue the phase in of the fair school funding plan. A couple of years ago. Uh, a very large committee made up of educators, legislatures, uh, legislators, um, uh, academics, uh, parents, students, uh, was a committee that did a great deal of research about school funding and came up with uh, something that would have satisfied the 27-year-old now ruling uh, of our state of Ohio, that uh, education should be funded by the state government and not relying on uh, property taxes, which creates then poor districts and rich districts, and not and and so the funding should equalize the the um, money available to public schools. And so the plan came to be. There were some adjustments in the plan by the general assembly, but they passed it as a uh, trial for two years. And what we're saying is that now they really need to continue phasing in the school, the fair school planning, funding plan, or fully phase it in, which is a more equal funding um, and uh, and and creates a more equitable, sustainable formula for funding. Right now, what is going on mostly is uh, trying to increase Um, public funds that go to private schools via vouchers. Um, And that is an issue that that we, that's something we take issue with because we believe that public money, tax dollars, ought to support public schools. I mean, it was one of the first things that, uh, when the state wrote the constitution, in the very beginning, that they put in those folks put into the constitution that we must support public education and that is being eroded and has been being eroded over the last couple of decades by folks who don't believe that public education should be something really available it seems you know they talk about public education as Funding government schools. These are folks that have come from a perspective that the government is always wrong. There is nothing right about government. It should be small, and what government does is is indoctrinate cho- children into. I don't know, you know, brainwash them, and and we should actually have a system where children can can choose, or families can choose where they where kids go. And and that is, and and I have no no argument with people wanting to have the best possible education they can for their children, but we don't do that by gutting the funding that we give to public schools and share it with private schools. Now the the voucher, the new voucher bill that the government is that the governor is is, uh, for, would open up vouchers to any student in the state, essentially, you didn't, you wouldn't even have to be a student who was going to a a poor performing public school, however you define that. Which again is a matter of manipulating the definitions and manipulating the words you use to define these schools and manipulating the budget so they they cannot be um well good performing schools. But anyway, you you don't even have to. Uh, have attended a school like that, which was the original law for vouchers, you don't even have to have ever attended a public school to get a voucher to go to a private school. And the vouchers will not pay for the entire private uh, education that, you know, these schools are asking for. And I have nothing against private schools, but many of them are religious schools. And And we have a strong belief, and which is also seeming to be eroded about the separation of church and state. And also these bills cover the state, whereas in our 88 counties, many of the more rural counties, 44 to be exact, don't have access to a private school or a charter school that these kids and and so the public school that these kids have access to is being little by little whittled away in terms of its quality and its budget and its ability to educate students. So that is an issue that we are very much concerned about.
1: The the data that exists today shows at least in Ohio when they were doing the ed choice voucher program that most of the people that took the vouchers could already pay for the private schooling, yeah, and and, and no. it and, and it was supposed to help uh, minority students, and hardly any of them got them, and and like you were saying, the rural areas that are left out, yeah, are the reason why there was a court case that the school funding formula was uh, unconstitutional because they were they had textbooks that were fifteen years old at the time. Yes, because they because the property values in those areas were so low, they yes. weren't getting any any money yes. to run their school. Yes. And now you want to take more money away? Yes. Not to mention they're thinking about uh, cutting taxes again. You know, I just saw sure. the other day that that Ohio has the forty fifth uh, lowest tax rate in the country. You know, there's only 50 states, and we're all the way at the bottom, and they still want to cut taxes.
2: Yeah, we're we're in competition maybe. with Mississippi, mm-hmm. maybe. You know, right? Kind of and thing. and they yeah. have a
1: they have a their schools are not very good, lost. and yeah. our schools are getting worse.
2: Well, I think you know this, and this, of course, is the argument that that are is often used is that public education is. There are two arguments here: public education isn't good because of teachers unions because teachers don't work they won't you know they they just uh uh they don't have an interest in the kids or or they're not interested in in te- i mean it's just they're interested in striking and pay as though they are making gazillions of dollars here you know uh so there's that that really broad brush of anti Teacher independence and anti-teacher control of their classroom, and the other, and so uh, that trickles down to making uh, public schools uh, illegitimate in some way. That they're 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 not even trying. And then the other one is that it's just uh, just a, a, um, a viper's nest of liberal thought, and they're indoctrinating these kids to hate the U.S. You know, and it's like what. And that leads to a lot of bills in the current legislature that are mostly in committee. They haven't gotten very far. Those bills that have to do with um, very specific things that are taught in schools you know, and, and very specific rules about removing uh, DEI uh, considerations uh, for faculty and staff. Where is this coming from? You know, I I have my own ideas, but it's um, frightening in a sense. I think these are real threats to democracy. Instead of encouraging critical thinking in students, they want to present alternatives that are false, you know, not true alternatives.
1: Okay, and on that note, as we wrap up uh, the interview today, um, if somebody wants to get involved with your chapter, uh, how would they go about doing that?
2: There, We have a website. It's um, LWV Toledo Yeah. Uh, uh, LWV Toledo That's our website. And uh, you, can, you can join on the website. Uh, you can learn more about us. It's a very interactive and informative website. If you want to know more about uh, education bills, I I would urge you to go to honestyinohioeducation.org. That is uh, an organization that we are partnered with as as well as a number of other uh, good government organizations are partnered with, and they are watching they're just Ohio. It's just a homegrown organization. It's not a national thing. They are watching all of the education bills in the General Assembly. And so, if you want more information about these bills, that is a great place to go. Also, lwvohio.org is a great place to go for all sorts of educate information about uh, issues that we are involved in or that we're interested in, and. Um, I urge you to do. But please, yes, join us. We need all the help we can get. We really are wanting to, to um, spread spread our information, I guess.
1: Okay, Uh, I really appreciate your time today and thank you for joining us today, Anne.
2: You're very welcome. Thank Mm -hmm. you.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: For more information about the topics in this episode, please visit the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. Glass City Humanist is an outreach of the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie. Sholee can be reached at humanistswle.org. Glass City Humanist is hosted, written, and produced by Douglas Berger, and he's solely responsible for the content. Our theme music is Glass City Jam, composed using the Amplify Studio. See you next time.